Welcome to StarCast, a show about tarot, divination, and all things mystical. StarCast is a celebration of StarCon, the Southeastern Tarot Artist and Readers Conference. I'm Amy Mauser, and here's your host, Christiana Gaudet. Thank you for that introduction, Amy. I'm Christiana Gaudet. It is great to be here. And today I have a very special guest with me. One of our headline speakers, Benabel Wen, is with me. Benabel, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Hi, Christiana. I'm good. I'm glad to be here with you. I am so excited. You were, I think, the very first person. Um, yeah, I think you were the very first person I reached out to when we had this crazy idea to do a conference. So I was like, wouldn't it be cool if Benabel Wen could do it? <laughs> oh, I'm flattered. Yes, yes. So I'm I'm so excited. And uh, I'm so excited to be speaking with you here today. Of course, you really need no introduction. Most of us know you as the author of Holistic Tarot, uh, the author of The Tao of Craft, and maybe most recently, the designer of Spirit Keepers Tarot. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a deck creator. Imagine that. Well, and that is such an interesting thing. So, because when when you and I first spoke, I guess it was over email when you were writing uh, Holistic Tarot. Was it always in you to create a deck? Was that something you always no. would do? No. So tell no, me. And, no. In fact, what's really funny is I still, I can, I'm pretty sure there are recorded interviews out there where people had asked me that question in 2015, 2016, even maybe up to 2017. People are like, oh, are you going to make a deck? Are you going to collaborate? I'm like, no, I'm never going to make a deck. You know, like I just was so flat out, like, you know what I mean? So, so sure of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the reason I believe that was because I work with the thoughts of Marseille, the the writer Wade Smith, and I felt like, what can I add to that? And if you want to create a derivative or an artistic derivative, you have professional artists who know what they're doing, creating, you know, the clones and the derivatives of these decks. So what can I contribute to the world of tarot decks? I didn't feel like I had anything to contribute other than just sort of like an exercise of my ego. So that's the reason I was pretty sure I was never going to create a tarot deck because I didn't want to create one just because. Um, and then, of course, you know, SKT happened. So so more, how, how did that happen? Uh, whoa. Okay. So I think it was in 2018. I was, this is so funny. It's such a, such a millennial thing. I was tweeting, I was on Twitter, like with a glass of wine. Right. And I was just like, you know, shooting off my mouth, like, wouldn't it be funny if like, I made a deck by hand and I did this and I did that. Right. And I, and I, and I tweeted it. And then, you know, I had some conversations, side conversations with people. And then for some reason, as I was going to sleep that night, I think it was a Wednesday night. How, how specific is that? And I was going to sleep. I was thinking, well, why don't I? Like, I mean, what's the harm? It's just for myself. I'm creating, I'm just hand drawing a couple of cards just for me. It's not for anybody. I can do whatever I want. There's nothing, there's no wrong way to do it if it's just a deck that I'm creating for myself. So the next morning I woke up and I drew a couple of cards and then I decided to start from keys. I wanted to go in order. Like there was, I would not allow myself to skip around. I had to go in order from the majors to the minors in a very specific order. So I did that. And then I just got sucked into the project. Like something took over. It really, I did feel like I entered some kind of a long-term trance. And even if I wanted to pull away from it, I, I would always be pulled back into it. 
So I just, I, I hardly did anything else in life except for this deck until it was finished. And so it only took 37 days or 30, 40, something like that days to finish. It was hand drawn. So what I did was I, t- I took cardstock and I hand drew every single card in tarot deck size. So every single card was 2.75 by 4.75 little card images, all hand drawn with pen and ink. And then the first edition of the deck was just that, um, the, the original line drawings scanned in, that's it. And so that was the first edition. And then after that, you know, it became an exercise of honing the artistic element, more of the skill. You know, now I was like, okay, well, let me actually, you know, learn how to be an artist, train myself in art. So I got myself um, a tablet, a stylus. And so this year, because of the pandemic, I had a lot of time on my hands to go on YouTube and teach myself how to draw. So well, color, how teach myself digital 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 painting. And so I went back to the original black and white line drawings and did the digital painting. And now it's more of like a exercise of like technique, just learning the techniques and applying technique to the original line drawings. Did you know that you were an artist before this? Did you know you could draw? Well, I've always been able to draw. In fact, um, in high school, I had wanted to become an artist, like a professional, go into fine arts. So I wanted to pursue fine arts um, and all of my art teachers have always told me to pursue fine arts. They actually went above and beyond. They would um, go, they would get interviewers to um, Cooper Union, um, Pratt Institute, Rhode Island School of Design to come to this school. They would show, they would go out of their way to show these um, people at the at the admissions people my my portfolio and say, you have to see this girl. So I remember getting into the whole portfolio, like, you know, doing this. And my mom was kind of like, what is, what is my little daughter doing? She seems to be like, very zoned in on something like always in her room painting and drawing. And this was back when we didn't have anything digital. Every single piece in your portfolio had to be take a photograph and you had to um, create a microfiche. Remember those microfilms? So you had to create the microfil- microfiche uh, slides for all of your artwork. So I'm sitting there like creating a studio. I'm like a 16 year old girl who created a studio in her bedroom. And taking photographs with like my like bed sheets hanging in the background, you know, and like every single light focus on my bed sheets just to take these photos for the microfiche. And then my mom was kind of like, oh, you know, that's not really happening. <laughs> you know, you're not really going to become a you know professional artist. And so I ended up in law. I became a lawyer. And then I think um, when we were speaking, what happened was I reached a point, a pinnacle in my career where I was kind of like, well, I've achieved everything I've kind of set out to achieve but I feel very hollow. Like it, it didn't do what society told me it was going to do for, for my life purpose. So that's kind of where I revisited terror. I started revisiting all of these things that had been such a core part of who I was in terms of the part that nobody else influenced. That would be the occult. That would be the tarot, divination, all of these aspects that nobody else influenced were interests of mine that now I began to revisit. So first it was the occult and then it became, you know, creativity plus occult. And so that's why, you know, now I revisited that, but I've always known I liked to doodle. So good. So good. So I actually had a, another question about, well, another couple of questions about spirit keepers, if I may. Mm-hmm. First of all, what is a spirit keeper? Spirit keepers, I was trying to find a word that was a little bit more generic, you know, something that could be like it could come, it could kind of um, envelop many different perspectives and viewpoints. That's the reason I went with spirit keepers, because every single tradition um, and culture has your more specific words for 
for what that what that is, right? So I think spirit keeper is more direct in that it describes. It's somebody who not gatekeeper, but somebody who's at that gateway, that threshold point, who is able to kind of navigate the the physical materialized world and the spiritual world, like this sentience or something that's going on that seems to have personality, but it's intangible in the spirit world. And so I think these mediums are able to kind of connect between the two worlds. And so spirit keeper just felt like a very generic descriptive way to describe that without getting too specific, because I think specific words today have societal, like, preconceived notions attached to it. And I didn't want that. So that's the reason I called it that. But I think we all know what it means. It's just somebody who navigates both worlds. I love it. I love it. So I know uh, with one edition of Spirit Keepers, you did individual decks for people and each had a name. Yes, the Vitruvian. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Can you tell us about this? I I don't believe that anyone else at any other time in in the history of tarot, I don't think this has ever been done before. Am I wrong? I, um, I I don't know. I would, I assume it's been done. I don't, I can't give you an example. I can't give an example, but I I just assume that it's been done. And I think you invented this. I don't know that for sure, but I do (laughs) think you invented it. So talk to me about that and how that worked and what that process was. Um, well, I think I think every deck is different. I don't think you can say every deck, um, the, you know, uh, we've had conversations about animism um, and our decks and our decks alive. Do decks have personalities? I think there's no blanket answer for everything. I think it's very case specific. Um, even down to decks, like, you know, even the same deck for, you know, I have two Rider Waite Smith decks. One deck is seems to be possessed with something just based on the conditions around it another deck is just like a dud right it's just cart pieces of cardboard so because of that um i think when i started getting into the spirit keepers chair just all of the conditions around it um very specific case specific conditions i felt like there was something um like sentient about i don't want to use the word sentient because then you start thinking like it's alive the way humans are alive it's not that It's, it's just there's something in it Right. Um, There's more space in it for other um, spirit entities to occupy it. There's like a little more space in there for that to happen. You know, it's more of a a deeper battery of some kind. And so then I guess because I vote, I'm the person who if you run into a wall, I apologize to the wall. Um, I'm very careful about my stuffed animals. Like I feel like if they're not placed a certain way, they won't have friends. I can't leave a stuffed animal by itself because the stuffed animal will get lonely. You know, I have to make sure they have those tea parties. So and just within that realm of personality, it just makes sense that it would translate into the tarot where you kind of feel like, oh, they they have feelings. It's not that I think in some objective way that they have feelings, but it's just the way I approach life, right? The way I would approach stuffed animals, the way I would approach running into a wall. This is the way I approach tarot cards. So now I have a question, right? I I have a theory that there are two types of people, people who name their cars and people who don't. So that description of your personality, do you, does your car have a name? No, my cars don't have names. (laughs) Now see, that blew my theory right out of the water. That's hilarious. So this is funny because I'm not as much of an animist as you are. Uh My cars always have a name that's so funny funny so like 
You know, and I laugh at that, you know, because we can get into these arguments in the tarot community about are your cards live? You know, what what is are they just cardboard and ink? Is there something more? You know, we can have that conversation forever. And it's even better if wine is involved. Um, The answers vary when wine is involved. (laughs) But I think it is true that even those of us like myself who will be like, I'm not an animist. But yet, we don't want other people touching our cards, or we'll be the first to say, so what did the cards say? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, you know, I, I think we all give them some, some quality that way, don't we? Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, pivot just a little bit. I want to talk about StarCon. And you are our headline speaker on Saturday. You'll be doing a 90-minute presentation. And for now, we'll keep that topic secret. However, we are lucky enough that you will also be doing a presentation on Sunday. Can we talk just a little bit about what you're going to be sharing with us on Sunday? On exorcisms? Yeah. What would you like to know about that? Everything. And I I mean, I realized if I wanted to know everything, I, I will wait for StarCon patiently. But, you know, exorcism for me has, I I know nothing about it beyond I saw and read The Exorcist. I haven't seen that movie. Really? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really like, okay. And religiously, I grew up, uh, my dad was a United Methodist minister and the Methodists are like as intellectual as you can get, you know, there's like, there's, there's no, it's, it's just, there's not a lot of occult thought, you know? Mm-hmm. So the idea of spirit possession to me is like a very Catholic thing mm. and not something that we as Methodists would have done. So I That's, just, I don't know. You tell me. Well, I think I, I look more at exorcism as what you can go to any part of the world. And mm-hmm. you talk to their more folk religious practitioners, mm-hmm. there is some form of exorcism. There's some form of belief around it. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at different forms of psychosis and neurosis, there's just, and, and how like a lot of there's the epileptic, epileptic seizure um, connection that people are starting to explore. A lot of this is untread territory. So no one can say we know what's going on. But I just feel like it's also ignorant to say that nothing is going on, right? So you can't say you know what's going on, but you can't also say you there's nothing. Something is going on. Um, we, we're, we're just seeing two schools of thought trying to answer that question without talking to each other. You have the exorcists, the folk practitioners, and then you have the psychologists. And, and, you know, I think there's something that can be learned if you merge the two or try to figure out where that common denominator lies. I don't have a background in psychology, but I've seen a lot of um, exorcisms in the Taoist tradition. In in a lot of um, Taiwanese culture, they do believe in spirit possession. 
um, it's in my family. It's some, there's stories that I grew up with. And then there's things that I've seen that I don't, I don't know what that is. And I think when I was smaller, I was just very easy to say, well, that's just someone who's nuts. You know, someone, I mean, like I can fake that I can do it too. Like, Ooh, I'm possessed too. And so I kind of, that was kind of the end of the discussion for me for a very long time. Um, but then the more I think about it and then the more you meet people and see things in this world, I don't know. I think it's something that is possible. And when you visit, when you travel the world and see different um, indigenous cultures, different witch traditions as well, they all believe this thing. And, and then not only that, but the exorcistic rituals are all strikingly similar. Wow. They're all very much the same. When you look at the Catholic tradition versus a Buddhist tradition, sure, they're using different different books, different um, liturgy, different recitations, um, different mannerisms. But when you look at the eyes of the priest or the eyes of a shaman, like there's something, there's the energy, the aura of these people doing these rituals that is exactly the same. Even when you go into South America, there's something about it. And so that's where my interest has lied for many, many years is to try to understand what that common denominator and what is that, that spirit thing that is interacting and engaging with the human world that is creating this phenomenon. And so that's something I wanted to talk about. Wow. I cannot wait <laughs> for that. That is so fascinating. And there are really two things that came to me when you were saying that. One is when you talk about that place where spirituality and psychology meet, that's tarot reading. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So you are the right person to make this exploration. And the other thing is, rarely in my career, I have met people who were very sane. I mean, from my estimation, very sane, who were experiencing what they felt was a spirit possession. Mm -hmm. And they suffered greatly. And, you know, again, my own background would be to kind of poo-poo that. But yeah. I thought, and I didn't have the, the skill or the knowledge to be able to do much with it, except, you know, see what the cards said about it. But I have seen it enough to recognize it. it is a real phenomenon. So we will look forward to that at StarCon as well as your headline presentation. And uh, before we say goodbye today, uh, I would love us to do a reading. You've got a deck with you. What, what deck? Oh, and that is Spirit Keepers. Oh, so beautiful. That is. Oh, thank you. That is lovely. So Spirit Keepers is, is entirely grayscale. Is that right? The first one was black and white because it's um, just pen and ink. This one is sepia tone where I just added <laughs> sepia colors just so that there's a little bit more uh, visual interest. And then the third edition, which I'm working on right now, is full color. Oh, so great. So great. All right. So what I would like us to do, I am working with my, this is my workhorse right now. It's the Waitsmith that comes in the little tin. I, that has been my workhorse forever. <laughs> I love the, the, um, what is the centennial edition? Yes. Yes. I yes. love that one. Absolutely. So what I would like us each to do is think about StarCon, the very first StarCon, which will be January, 2021 and pull one card to give us some thought or information about it. 
And I'll let you choose whether uh, you want to read first or want me to read first. But let's start and each pull a card. Okay. Okay. So you let me know when you're ready. If you want to go first, do you want me to go first? The Dark Horse. This is the Seven of Wands and wow. the Emperor. So they're both fire cards. We yes. both got fire. That's yes. really interesting. And fire, I always associate with spring, like the new beginnings, the spring mm -hmm. equinox, the start of something, but it's also sort of great potential. But anyway, I'm not reading my card. <laughs> Seven <laughs> of Wands. So this card, I what I did here is it shows a great opposition, but it's somebody who is like all of the factors are stacked against the Dark Horse. Dark Horse means the under dog, somebody that other people kind of almost with shadow and fraud think that they're going to fail or expect to fail. But I hope that this card conveys that this person's not going to fail. Like if you look at that, you are rooting for the underdog. You know that this person has a lot, lot of fight in him and he is going to get it. Right. And so that's what I see. I see um, there are a lot of cards stacked against the situation, but at the end of the day, this is going to be something that is going to prevail. And it's also not only going to prevail, but it's going to come out on top in a way that is going to surprise everybody. Oh, that is beautiful and makes me happy. And it makes a lot of sense in, I mean, the timing ain't great. You know, we've got pandemic, we've got contentious election, uh, you know, we've got a lot going on that, that makes it not the easiest time to start something new. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do. And I got the emperor, which for me does bring some solidity here and is about, in many ways, community leadership, community excellence, and the sharing of knowledge, which is exactly what we're about. So one way or the other, pandemic or no, we're going to make this happen. And Benabel Wen, I am so happy that you are part of this and that you are part of the energy that is bringing this into being. And I like how we did the two card reading where it's almost like I told the beginning of the story you and your card ended the story and the, the they're both fire cards. So it shows that it's kind of a sign that it's meant to be read together. Absolutely. So beautiful. So if people want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Just go to benabellwen.com. Um, I'm also on Instagram as at Bellwen. And those are the places that you're going to find me. Beautiful. And of course, we will find you in January at StarCon. I want to thank you so much for being part of the original StarCon family. Years from now, we will tell great stories of this. And I want to thank you for being my guest today on StarCast. Absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for joining us for StarCast. For more information about our annual conference, visit us online at StarCon.com. That's S-T-A-A-R-C-O-N.com. We are looking forward to seeing you in January.